1: Well, hello, folks, and thanks for making AOA a part of your day today. Looking out at the markets, we're seeing the trade still adjust to those numbers released yesterday from the USDA and their World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates. We'll talk in segment two with Dr. Matt Roberts of Terrain about those releases and what he thinks they mean for the market here as we get farther into 2023. In segment three, we're going to talk machinery. Kyle McMahon of Tractor Zoom will be joining us. That market has been hot, hot, hot since COVID started. He's going to give us an update on how things look here as we kick off 2023. Before we jump into all of that, however, this time of year is the learning season. Farm events are happening across the country. Growers, exhibitors, market suppliers, everybody getting together to talk through the issues we could confront as an industry here as 2023 moves further along. And one of those groups that recently got together in Colorado, was the national potato council they held their potato expo outside denver had a very strong crowd and joining me now for an update on the industry is ceo of the npc mr cam Quarles. cam thanks for joining us today
2: hey mike great to talk to you happy 2023
1: indeed it's already rocking and rolling potato growers got together in denver here about two weeks ago cam and what was on the mind of the growers what are they thinking as 2023 gets started
2: well, I think it's a lot of enthusiasm for getting back to business, Mike. I mean, we had over 1,800 growers there, a sold out show floor, exhibitor sponsors just off the chart. Shoot, we even had uh, three celebrity chefs from the Food Network cooking up all kinds of potato recipes. We had just a, a, a great amount of energy and excitement. I think people are really, really looking forward to, the, to this new year.
1: They certainly are. I I hear that from a lot of folks throughout the industry. All different sectors are finding reasons to be optimistic for 2023. Cam, the potato industry has been rocked by restaurant shutdowns over the past two years and everything else that's going on. As they look into 2023, what are some reasons for optimism for potato growers in the industry?
2: Well, one of the big uh, kind of tailwinds that we have for potatoes is demand is extremely strong, both domestically and internationally. Uh, and that is kind of a multi-year trend. Now, of course, COVID you know kicked the legs out from under that, but that was an exogenous event. If you once you get back to more normal business, that tailwind is there, and I, I think uh, growers, everyone in the industry, is uh, is focusing on how to serve that very, very strong demand for for uh, both fresh table stock potatoes and then processing and it's um, those are those are the problems that you like to have
1: absolutely they are but of course this year cam as we hear about issues with transportation I'm wondering meeting that domestic market they believe they're going to be able to do that this year things look good
2: uh, I, I think there's a lot of optimism. You know, obviously, we're the, everybody's grappling with challenges in terms of inputs and can you get your your crops to to market. Um, I, you know, we had a number of sessions at Potato Expo talking about supply chain and and all the various issues that go into that. But I, I think the the common theme is that things the, the pendulum is sw- slowly swinging back to normal, and I I I, I think the the, the hope is that COVID and all of those challenges are sliding into the past. Sure, inflation is something that we're going to have to deal with, but uh, from the just from the amount of of people and positive talk on the show floor in our sessions, I, I, it it appears to me that the industry is really looking forward to to a bright 2023.
1: Well, that is always good to hear cam but there are always risks out there in the world of agriculture and i know in the potato industry you guys have been grappling with the threat from the prince edward island potato wart can you give us an update have, do we have any more progress on containing that disease and keeping it off our shores
2: yeah mike uh, and that is that, that clearly is one of those threats that could just change the entire landscape for us. If you get a big uh, pester disease outbreak in the U.S., you mentioned uh, uh, potato wart on PEI. Potato wart, one of the worst diseases that you can get for potatoes. Uh, USDA came out with a huge report. We talked about this back in October that really details what the risk looks like Since that time, the positive news is that uh, the federal authorities in Canada, CFIA, has said that they intend to change how they're doing things on Prince Edward Island, update, modernize the plan that they're working on that contains this disease. And I think USDA then is going to come in and reciprocate and update how they deal with imports coming in from PEI. The hope is that the two federal governments working together can get this risk under control and we can get back to more, more normal business. It truly is a North American market, and to have uh, that kind of threat laying out there from, from, from an exporter to the U.S., it's not, it's not a great situation on either side of the border.
1: No, it isn't, Cam. And we've got other things coming up this year. Of course, 2023 is a farm bill year, hopefully, as we get on deeper into the congressional calendar. Working with the specialty crop folks that, uh, that you do, what are you hoping to see as the farm bill comes into focus?
2: well, the primary one, Mike, is we're hoping for a farm bill by the end of September. That's when the uh, the current bill starts to expire. It's anybody's guess if we can if we can get there. Obviously, the last couple of farm bills have had challenges getting across the House floor. They've uh, both of the last two farm bills have failed once on the House floor and then had to be uh, brought back uh, in order to to finally pass it and get it to the president's desk. Complicated uh, process you've got now over 84% of the farm bill goes to the nutrition title and how Congress deals with that huge demand for SNAP and uh, all the things that are under the nutrition title is going to be one of the paramount issues that determines how many resources are available for the other titles in the farm bill. In specialty crops, we're looking at the things that have worked well for us, research, uh, international and domestic promotion programs. Uh, we really want to continue to expand demand for our product. And then, of course, we, are, we were already talking about it, but uh, pest and disease resources, uh, the, those, those are incredibly valuable dollars. They're truly an investment that for a relative few amount of millions of dollars of keeping a disease or a pest out of the United States, you prevent potentially billions of dollars of negative impact. If if for some reason, one of those FIDO issues can get established here and we've got to eradicate it and all the chaos that comes with that.
1: Absolutely. A case where an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure in some cases. Cam, we've also seen fresh potatoes moving deeper into Mexico. It's been almost a year that's been happening. Is that progress still moving forward?
2: It is. Uh, it, it it has been since May of last year that we had the Mexican market open. You and I have talked a number of different times about all the uh, all of the um, uh, uh, very long story that it took to get to this point. But we're very happy that those volumes continue to grow. Uh, relatively few issues that we've dealt with so far. Um, we obviously are keeping a weather eye on that, but it's a positive story to date, Mike.
1: That is good to hear, folks. We've been speaking with Cam Quarles, CEO of the National Potato Council. And, Cam, thanks for joining us today.
2: Great to talk to you, Mike. And,
1: folks, stay with us when AOA returns. Dr. Matt Roberts from Terrain will share his insights on yesterday's supply and demand estimate.
0: Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up.
1: On the first Wednesday of every month here on AOA, we get together for the monthly grind, a conversation about corn demand and the partnerships it takes to make that corn industry profitable with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. And to do that, we are joined this month by the Market Development Action Team member Troy Schneider. Troy grows corn in eastern Colorado and recently had the chance to travel with NCGA to the European-U.S. collaboration
3: platform on ag. Troy, what did you learn? We attended, after the the collaboration platform on ag, we attended the European Union's ninth annual Agricultural Outlook Forum. You know, everybody's hearing about Farm to Fork and their Green Deal over in Europe. My opinion is this is USDA's way of having a conversation, having an open dialogue with our counterparts in the EU and trying to understand where some of their policies are coming from, where they're wanting to go, and answering our questions and our concerns as to how that will affect us. You know, like you said, we have to defend our markets.
1: Thank you, Troy. And folks, tune in to the next Monthly Grind live at the Kettle Convention in New Orleans.
4: In farming, you know being early means you're right on time. That's why the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System created the Spray Early Weed Control Guarantee. When you spray before or at planting, you can protect your investment and give your farm an advantage all season long. Find the tools and resources you need to spray early and guarantee your weed control at roundupreadyextend.com slash sprayearly. Guarantee is subject to program terms and conditions. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. I think farming picked me.
1: (laughs) I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come.
5: Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group, all rights reserved.
6: Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens.
7: Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration,
9: Changes your entire life.
6: So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early.
7: My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that.
6: Make a plan today to get your
1: eyes checked.
9: Visit brightfocus.org to learn more.
7: This
0: is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA.
1: Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, welcome back to AOA. It's time to unpack some of that data that was released yesterday. Joining me now is Dr. Matt Roberts. He's the grain and oilseeds economist with Terrain. Dr. Roberts, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Mike. Let's talk about yesterday's release from the USDA of their World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates. Soybeans seem to be the biggest mover, at least on the day of release. Matt, what happened in the soybean market?
5: Well, I think there's a couple of things coming together. And and it's, it's first of all, I'm a firm believer you can never say exactly what's happening in the market, right? It's a fool's errand. All we can do is say, hey, these are the ingredients in the pot, and this is how it tastes at the end of being stirred and cooked. But some of those ingredients. So overnight, uh, the Rosario, uh, which is the primary futures exchange in Argentina, came out, updated estimates for their corn and soybean crop. Um, Their projections on soy were a cut of roughly and I had to calculate this a couple times to make sure I was, it was doing this right. Roughly a 400 million bushel cut in soy production in Argentina, in Argentina. Wow. Okay. Um, now some of that was already accounted for in the USDA, but a large amount was not. So they, it was a pretty big cut compared to market expectations. Uh, corn was also a big cut. So you have, that is your background, right? And now that came out day before Wazdy can't, Put it into WASD, right? Uh, in fact, the, the guys who put WASD together were probably on lockdown. They probably didn't even, I'm not even sure they would have known it. Sure. Uh, and they come out and they're like, Ooh, oh, don't. Um, but then we go to the actual WASD itself 70 million bushel cut in production in, 23, 20, in 22 23, uh, seven tenths of a bushel decline, 300,000 acre decline, 70 million bushel cut. And that – those two together – now, USDA did come out, and they cut exports by 55 million bushels, largely offset that decline in in production. But then traders are also going, but Argentina. Yeah. So I think exports are going to have to go back up.
1: Do you think, Matt, looking out on the export side, America versus Argentina – we're we're going to have to move some more beans onto the international system. Yeah. Beans or meal? Will American exports later on this year be meal to make up for Argentina not having the beans to crush domestically or will it be whole beans do you think coming out the US? Both.
5: Okay. Both. Um I do think there's going to be meal um you know and I think if this were next year when we had more of the crushing capacity come online that we've heard so much about, I think it would definitely be meal. I think this year, uh, it's not quite as clear, but I think it's going to be a mixture of both. We do know, like you said, uh, they are big suppliers, of meal to the world. Um, They like to, they have a tax regime that incentivizes product over bean, and nobody else really exports product like they do. So it will push us forward on that. I think we're going to see it primarily, though, in bean demand. Okay. All right. Whole bean demand. I think. I think so, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I, I don't want to count the number of times I've been wrong.
1: Well, sure. Markets are are always moving, Matt. There's always new information. I'm wondering for producers out there, they're looking at their 23 crop here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Expenses are high. We know inputs are going to be costly. Markets moving on us right now. Is this a time to be looking at some sales for fall delivery?
5: Probably. I, I think it's an opportunity. Okay, yeah. I think this is an opportunity. And you know, a lot has to do with what have you done up to now. Yeah, you're exactly right. Prices are high. We know that our input prices are high. Um, guys are rightly worried about it. At the same time, we're sitting here looking at this moment at 596 on the board for Dees Corn. We're looking at Navi Beans at 14. You know, so six and fourteen. <sighs> those are prices that now depending on your land and that's that's the big driver but those are prices that should be profitable um if you've done zero plant or zero marketing and, and there are more than a few guys i've met who have booked a lot of their inputs um and I'm not trying to be sexist by saying guys, we just know that the women are smarter than these decisions, uh, who've booked a lot of their inputs and done very little marketing. That's my worry. You're now really exposed on one leg of this of this business model, not on the other. I think for those, it's a time to start booking. Look, here's the thing. There's this old saying that the market doesn't care about your PL, mm-hmm. your profit and loss. That's only kind of true prior to planting. The market has to care about your profit and loss, All right. Um, if tomorrow corn goes to $14, bean stays at $14, we know everybody's going to start selling the crap out of corn, ordering seed. Uh, it's going to change. If that same thing happens in June or July after planting's in, nothing can change. So the market does have to care about it. These are areas that I think are, if you haven't done much marketing, is a place to start picking off bushels. Yes, makes total sense, particularly if you've locked in your inputs. Does this mean this is going to be the best price we see? I don't know. Probably not. I'm not advocating you sell 100%. But if you're sitting at 0 or 5%, it's probably not a bad time to be locking some of your fall production. Absolutely. In. I mean,
1: those inputs were priced to your operation based on these market prices. So let's complete the loop and manage that risk. Matt, yep. while we've got you, the corn market, also we were watching for this WASDI report, did see another substantial decline in total corn production last year. What do USDA do?
5: So. 200 million bushel cut coming out an increase in yield of a bushel, 1.6 million acre decline in harvested acres, so 200 million bushel cut. Um, we've been sitting here, every analyst has been watching really slow pace of exports all fall, knowing that this was going to be an issue and USDA was going to have to deal with it. Um, with the 200 million bushel decline in corn production, it was a great time to deal with some of that. So they cut export projections by 150 million bushels. I still think there's a, probably another 200 million bushels in cuts that need to happen. Uh, we are far behind. We're uh, far behind where we should be for this time of year. At
1: this point, Matt, given that we're only, what, halfway, not quite, through the marketing season, could we still get caught up? Do we have the physical ability to export enough corn at the port to catch up with yes, the USDA? Yes, 100%. Okay. The,
5: the, you know, it is not – okay, so contingent on um, – Contingent on the river, you know, getting enough moisture that we we get the river back open. Logistics shouldn't be an issue. We're not okay. that far behind. What really killed us last year in 2022, combination, strong dollar. We were raising interest rates, you know, just like mad. And so when our interest rates are going up, the dollar's skyrocketing. Now, particularly with the CPI release this morning, uh, does look like we're going to see you know the sentiment is turning these when you look at the monthly inflation instead of year over year you look monthly it's slowing down fed should be able to maybe abate a little other countries are still raising it's going to weaken the dollar help with our exports so we have cuz we had that and we had bad river situation and we had high transportation costs uh, high diesel
0: rail issues rail issues yeah, you name it
5: everything that's going to lead to high basis um was there. So high basis and then high prices at the port was, was in play. And so most of those are backing off. We'll be more, we, if we get the demand, if we get the sales, we could catch up. Okay. But I just, I don't think it's going to swing that much unless something happens in brazilian second crop
1: right and we don't know all we're expecting on that second crop so far as i understand it matt is the acres should be higher
5: correct correct i mean it's it's kind of just yeah i mean it's okay we'll, we'll wait and we'll wait and see um so that's really the issue uh so on corn having said that the market really liked it it liked those cuts I still think we are going to see some cuts in ethanol that need to happen sometime this year. Ethanol has been a little slow, but I don't think that's a huge cut. I think the big one is what's going to happen with exports. Uh, We have not seen Biden roll back uh, the trade barriers that Trump put into place. Um, I'm not really aware of any. Um, So far, their biggest, you know, and the Inflation Reduction Act has some pretty significant trade barriers in the car industry, certainly. Uh, we see the administration care when it's GMO corn with Mexico, mm-hmm. but that's a very mercantilist kind of. It's not a free trade. It's a whoa oh. whoa 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 whoa. You're hurting our business. You're hurting our Stop business, that, Mexico. Yes. Yeah. Having said that, I tend to think there are cycles. There's gonna. This is a pendulum swinging back and forth over the past. 40 years from free trade and trade liberal liberalization like literally it is hard to put into words they are so incredible and foundational and fundamental billions of people uh moved out of poverty due to free trade folks we have been talking with dr matt roberts
1: the economist for grain and oil seeds at terrain dr roberts thanks for joining us today oh thanks
5: for having me mike Hi,
0: this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up.
1: Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and
0: build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting.
10: You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, overall, we see a fairly mixed and quiet start to trade on Friday, one day after USDA's big data dump on Thursday. Really, the grain rally that we saw after the reports were out, which were fairly bullish across the board, except for the winter wheat seedings report. We've seen that grain rally cool a bit here as we get into our Friday. And one has to wonder, are traders looking for a little direction? Are we bumping up against overhead resistance now in these markets? That remains to be seen here as we go throughout the day we also will be watching the outside markets michigan uh, university of michigan's consumer sentiment index number the preliminary number for january will be released here today how will that factor into the outside markets as the central bank is continuing to look for that soft landing for the u.s economy plenty of earnings reports out today as well stock market under a little bit of pressure early on thursday while crude oil is up uh, About a half a percent, up around 50 cents a barrel, 78.87. Still struggling, though, to get through that $80 per barrel mark here. Uh, Overall on the week, up about $6 per barrel here, but just stuck below that $80 level. Energy bulls are looking for increased demand from China as that country recovers from COVID and ramps up economic activity as well. Market looking for a big economic year here from the world power, and that's something to keep an eye on. Back in the grains and in the livestock too, again, though, relatively mixed here on Friday. Soybeans still had the most bullish fundamental picture in the entire grain and oilseed complex, with exports at least holding serve compared to the feed grains and domestic crush still rolling nicely thanks to robust margins. South American weather issues are going to be watched closely, especially Argentina, with the dryness concerns down there. Overall, again, mixed around unchanged in grains, with livestock slightly lower on Friday. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen.
6: Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together.
1: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA, and thanks for engaging with the show. Before we jump into segment three, I do wanna make a note, you're more than welcome to interact with AOA. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, and we're always happy to take your comments and, and hear what you've got to say out there. Heard a comment from listener Tim during our segment with Matt Roberts. Didn't see it quite in time, but he notes that in Western Iowa, where he's sitting gripped with drought, coming on the second year of a drought territory, how do you make sales looking ahead knowing or not knowing rather, how much crop you're gonna get in the ground. Great point, Tim. Thanks for bringing that up. Apologies for missing that comment there while we were talking with Dr. Roberts. Folks, always be willing to drop us a note here at AOA. Find us on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show or look for agriculture of America on Facebook. Without further ado, however, let's jump into segment three. Joining us next is Kyle McMahon. He's the founder and CEO of Tractor Zoom, the website that helps farmers, well, Price and find equipment out there on the internet. Kyle, thanks for joining us today.
11: Yeah, thanks, Mike. Good to talk to you again.
1: It has been a wild few years in the machinery business. We've seen used prices go crazy. We've seen dealers run out of new equipment on their lots. Kyle, as 2023 gets started, what are the big trends you're watching in the equipment space this next year?
11: Yeah, it's a really interesting market that we continue to watch. And, and as we watch the used, used agriculture equipment market from across the united states a couple of big trends that we continue to see uh closing out 2022 and as we move into 23 at the end of 22 we really saw uh, great strength in row crop tractors as well as combines Uh, primarily we saw most of the strength coming from late model low hour machines call it three years old or newer uh, those values continued to rise at the end of 2022, uh, even given higher interest rates and uncertain uh, profitability going into 23. What we've seen over the last couple of weeks is a little bit of uh, potentially a pullback in the combine market as we enter 23, uh, or at least some leveling off, nothing drastic, uh, but there's been more supply uh, sent to the market from OEMs, which increases the, the supply in the market, and there's been a lot of demand that's been able to be fulfilled historically. And uh, what we've seen from call it 10 years old to 4 years old equipment has been really flat and really strong. So late model, still seeing some strength in the, in the tractor market as well as the combine market, uh, but I think things are uh, leveling off as we come into 23. I don't, I don't see any downturn significantly, but Prices are holding pretty firm right now.
1: Okay, Kyle, you know, and that certainly makes sense given the amount of cash out there in the ag economy and the tightness in new supply. And I'm, I'm wondering, as you look back at that equipment that's that's older, that seven-plus-year-old stuff, we're getting into some equipment there that doesn't have the computers, doesn't have the emission stuff of these newer pieces of machinery. Is there a price bump for that equipment that's maintained well but doesn't have the, the def, for example?
11: Yeah, you know, there certainly is. But the challenge with that price bump, uh, or, or I should say that, that type of equipment, there's, some, there's quite a bit of it out there. And so that optionality uh, increases the supply of, of that type of equipment. And frankly, with high commodity prices, high net farm income, a lot of newer buyers are, are skipping their historical trade cycles and moving up to even newer equipment than what they're used to, used to buying. So while there there is still a demand for uh, uh, non-deaf equipment, uh, we still see uh, enough supply where those prices are, are firm, but not significantly higher than what we've seen uh, for, for other pieces that have DEF on them.
1: Okay, all right. So it's not a it's not a huge differentiator in the market anymore. There's a lot of other factors that folks are are considering. It sounds like.
11: That's right. Today, um, things can change as we continue going into 23, and we'll see what commodity prices do. Uh, That could start to change things, but we've seen a big, big push for that two- to three-year-old piece of machinery, even though guys are used to buying that seven-year-old machine, which has set prices even higher for those late models, uh, increasing about 20% last year.
1: Man, that is a big jump in prices. Definitely uh, saw bankers, saw financers noticing that kind of hike throughout the year. And I'm wondering, Kyle, you mentioned that new inventory is increasing. We're seeing those manufacturers get, get things back in line and and start to fill up dealer lots. I'm wondering about used inventory, auctions, used machines sitting on dealer's lots. Are these high prices pulling more equipment out of farmers' sheds and fence rows?
11: There, There's not right now. We would expect to see that. What we call the 2021 and 2022 cycles, I call it asset accumulation, uh, where effectively there's a scarcity in the market. Farmers were, were nervous that they couldn't get parts in the time uh, go time, and so they're simply buying a second machine. So you had two two kind of factors: high high farm income, which allowed you to buy a second machine, as well as parts scarcity. Which people said, you know what, I can at least buy one another combine and use it as a parts combine if I need it, or I can continue to run it. Right, so I had a backup, and they had they had the cash to do that. Um, we haven't seen that supply come back to market. At some point, we're going to see that supply come back. It naturally it has to, um, and, and we think that that might start to come back to later in 23 when farmers realize, you know what, I don't really need uh, this extra machine right now, and I might as well turn it into cash, uh, given interest rates are 7 8% now.
1: Right. And so in this moving from a cycle of asset accumulation, where we've got the cash, we've got the willingness to step out there and buy to a period where, oh, maybe we don't need quite as much machinery. Kyle, I've got to imagine that could lead to a pretty sharp drop in your estimation of where used values could go here when that change comes.
11: Yeah. It, 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 intuitively, it makes sense that there should just be a big dump of used machines back on the market, but I don't think we'll see it quite like that. I think what we learned in 2012 and 2013 during high commodity prices then is that it took a long time to, to change, uh, you know, say the cash rent market or the farmland market. Um, it, machinery didn't necessarily change as much as in the 2012-2013 time period as it has here the last two years, but, you know, there's still that cash on hand. There's still maybe guys wanting to, to pick up more ground and they can use that equipment. Just gonna take time to, to pull that supply back to the market. And there's, there's, two, there's two ways that that'll happen. Number one, OEMs delivering new machines. And so the, the traditional sales cycle at dealerships gets back to, to a little bit more traditional or normalized manner. The other piece of it is we're gonna to continue to see retirements in the states uh, going into the end of this year. High, high commodity prices, high tractor prices. We're actually seeing quite a few retirement auctions happen right now. Guys are getting out when they can uh, afford to uh, sell the machinery at a, at a peak of their career uh, while still maintaining controlled land and catering it outright. So it's going it's to take some time to really bring the supply back. I don't, I don't see any sharp declines or increases uh, here this year
1: all right so perhaps some relative stability in the used market and that makes me look at some of the other factors that could drive price and kyle financing and cost of interest is certainly going up have you heard from folks in the industry is that a detriment quite yet to machinery purchases or are most of them coming in with cash still
11: yeah what we've seen is i think guys are getting a little shocked on their uh, on their uh principal and interest payments so their, their annual or monthly payments on the equipment and so what they're doing to uh, maybe normalize that a little bit more, when you go from 2% interest to 7%, it more than doubles your interest payment, right? So what we've actually heard from our bank partners is uh, loan applications might be down a little bit, but more importantly, they're seeing farmers put down more cash in order to have a more acceptable uh, annual uh, equipment payment. And so they're, they're effectively decreasing the loan to value. Uh, where historically maybe they got hundred percent financing
1: all right so deleveraging maybe certainly a a decent way to reduce some of that risk exposed in this market here kyle we had some other big machinery news here to start the year and that was this memorandum of understanding between john deere and the american farm bureau federation hopefully making it easier it sounds like to repair john deere machinery do you see this having much of an impact on the market particularly for used equipment
11: so uh, you know I, I think there's yet to to be. I think there's yet to uh, learn a lot of what will come out of this. Naturally, for farmers, it's probably a right step in the right direction, uh, but there's no definitive answers that come out of that memorandum of understanding. Right? There's willingness of John Deere and Farm Bureau to work together to, to try to benefit uh, all of agriculture, uh, but there's no definitive answer what comes out of that. So. I, I think there's some interesting language in that Memorandum of Understanding that that really uh, isn't clear. So we'll see how long it actually takes to get uh, uh, devices and tools and, and software into the market to allow people to maintain their own machines. Uh, I, I, you know, at least this is a step in the right direction uh, for farmers and 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 dealers uh, dealers alike to be able to maintain the equipment. But um, you know, I think time will tell of what actually happens here and and that's That's true it's from a lot of farmers as well
1: yeah it's very fresh we'll have to see how the actual rulemaking finally comes down from that front kyle of course in this time volatile pricing folks are wondering what's my equipment worth what's my balance sheet look like tractor zoom has a tool to help them figure that out don't they
11: yeah that's that's right mike uh what what we like to say is every machine is different based on condition and today's market uh, condition really matters, and the number of hours on your machine really matters to value. Uh, and so we don't want people to be you know, 10 20% off on their equipment value. So we, we launched a tool on TractorZoom.com where you can actually price all of your equipment in your fleet and get price updates on a monthly basis so you can update your balance sheet and even your insurance premiums with your insurance agent. So a really easy, free tool for farmers at TractorZoom.com.
1: Fantastic. Kyle McMahon, CEO of TractorZoom. Find him online, TractorZoom.com. Kyle, thanks for joining us today.
11: Great to talk to you again, Mike.
1: Stay with us for more
0: AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up.
7: A message brought to you by Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org.
4: In farming, you know being early means you're right on time. That's why the Roundup Ready Extend crop system created the Spray Early Weed Control Guarantee. When you spray before or at planting, you can protect your investment and give your farm an advantage all season long. Find the tools and resources you need to spray early and guarantee your weed control at roundupreadyextendcom slash sprayearly. Guarantee is subject to program terms and conditions. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM grain marketing, and other stewardship practices.
1: I think farming picked me. (laughs) I didn't pick farming. Is your bathroom looking old and worn out? Want to update it, but you don't know where to start? Then let BCI Bath & Shower show you how to turn that old bath into an aisle of beauty and functionality. Our residential bathroom solutions provide the best value on the market, and our customer service is second to none. Our cost-effective BCI Bath & Shower family of products has
6: what you need.
1: For a limited time, be one of the first 100 callers who schedule a free in-home consultation and receive $500 off. Call 800-721-9985 for a free, no-obligation price quote. That's 800-721-9985. Factory-trained and certified installers made in the USA and discounts for seniors and military. BCI Bath & Shower, the leader in affordable bathroom products. That's 800-721-9985. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. The big story out of Washington, D.C. to kick off 2023 was the the lack of consensus in getting a speaker named by the Republicans to run the U.S. House of Representatives. Well, they finally got that all squared away. Kevin McCarthy is the new Speaker of the House, and that means business has started in Congress. In fact, on Thursday, the U.S. House passed their first bill for this congressional period. Uh, They passed a bipartisan bill. It passed with a 331 to 97 vote, and this is a piece of legislation that bars sales of oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve to entities under the control, ownership, or influence of the Chinese Communist Party, Quote, unless that oil will not be exported to China. So I guess we can sell it to a Chinese company if they're not going to take it into China. Uh, this bill, as I mentioned, did pass. 113 Democrats joined all Republicans in voting yes. All the 97 votes, uh, no votes came from Democrats. And it'll be interesting to see what this bill does. does not look like it has much, uh, much path forward in the Senate at this time. And uh, some folks in the oil industry are uh, skeptical, I suppose it is a, a good way to put it, about the impact of this bill, noting that it doesn't bar oil exports to China, it just bars the physical sale of oil from the SPR to Chinese companies. So they'll still sell oil out of the SPR, it will still bring down the overall crude oil price as more supplies come on the market, China will then be able to buy different oil at a cheaper price. They say it's maybe kind of a push from an economic perspective, but it's certainly a marker bill. As Congress looks to lay out its priorities for the next year, this, I think, is an indication that they will be looking hard at issues involving china in the years to come and well we've got some other news here out of china we've talked in the ag industry for some time about how asia writ large both china india parts of japan uh, south korea have not been on board as immediately as western societies with genetically modified organisms We've started to see that change in China in recent years. Their purchase, ChemChina's rather purchase of Syngenta, got them a GMO portfolio. And now it does sound as though the Chinese government is coming around to new technology in agriculture. The Chinese Ag Ministry did say they are still very cautious about GMO technology as it is applied to food crops for cultivation. However, they are fairly open to GMO tech in food uh, livestock feed, I should say. So it was announced yesterday that China has, for the first time in history, approved the importation of eight genetically modified crops, including, importantly, alfalfa, for the first time. Monsanto first submitted this uh, particular alfalfa trait to the Chinese government for approval back in 2011. Of course, since then, Monsanto was purchased by, Dare, by Bayer, rather, and uh, this approval application has just been sitting there for about 12 years. Well, finally, the Chinese have acted. They approved that particular uh, 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 glyphosate-resistant alfalfa J101 from Bayer. They also approved a Corteva glyphosate-resistant canola, and uh, it sounds as though the Chinese are looking to approve more biotech crops here in the years to come. We talked at the tail end, well, in fact, it was Christmas Day. The Chinese uh, held a very large convention conference for their party leaders and President Xi Jinping came out and said, the Chinese government, the Communist Party, will focus on making China more agriculturally independent. So maybe this is a step in that direction. Certainly opens up some new marketing opportunities for those GMO products into Asia. We're still grappling with rail issues. We talked about that briefly with Dr. Matt Roberts earlier. It was one of the conditions and concerns that's been rocking ag for the past two years, and it's ongoing. You know, We talked about that when they got this big deal done with the Class 1 railroads to prevent a strike. I, we've had several guests on the program who mentioned that it might not fix the problem because the engineers are still frustrated with their lack of vacation time lack of sick time and etc and they're still seeing fairly large hiccups in the rail freight system foster farms in fact which processes about a million chickens and twelve thousand turkeys every single day has said they have had to pause some operations because of delays in union pacific's role to get feed trains to their operations they have not been able to do it up has uh, I should say Foster Farms has put in a call with the Surface Transportation Board in order to uh, to force UP to get this job done, but they're not the only folks. The National Feed and Grain Association continues to highlight the fact that rail service is disrupting and it's disrupted to folks who need that feed. It's not like you can put that rail uh, rail car on a sideline and just forget about it for three weeks because those birds are going to notice. And birds have certainly been in the news. Egg, egg prices, rather, have been gathering some national headlines as HPAI continues to decimate laying flocks across the world. But globally, food prices are coming down. For the ninth consecutive month, the UN World uh, Food and Agriculture Organization reports that food prices have continued to decline And in fact, December saw prices fully 1% lower than they were in December 2021. And importantly, I think for this audience, the meat price index dropped by 1.2% from November into December. We're seeing those meats stay relatively affordable for U.S. consumers. And that affordability certainly matters. Inflation is still on the minds of policymakers. It's still on the minds of consumers. But consumers are starting to expect less inflation us uh, excuse me the university of michigan each month runs a survey called expected inflation rate they're looking ahead for inflation expectations and the idea is as people expect more inflation they find more inflation because i'm gonna have to put a little bit more in my prices to counteract the rise in prices coming later So as folks expect less inflation they quit adding additional premium to stuff and the idea is that helps turn the corner on inflation and the good news is u.s consumers now expect inflation for 2023 to be close to four percent that's the lowest they've expected it since april of 2020 a good sign, perhaps, that the economy is moving in the right direction. And real quick, just before we go, Bloomberg recently published an interesting look into the cost of internet around the country. And unsurprisingly, I think for folks of this audience, rural states have the least access to affordable high-speed internet montana only 13 percent of montanans have affordable access to high-speed internet 33 percent of south dakotans 92 percent of illinoisans that impacts agriculture folks we'll cover that on aoa going forward thanks for listening we'll see you tomorrow for more aoa
0: This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
1: On the first Wednesday of every month here on AOA, we get together for the Monthly Grind, a conversation about corn demand and the partnerships it takes to make that corn industry profitable with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. And to do that, we are joined this month by the Market Development Action Team member Troy Schneider. Troy grows corn in eastern Colorado and recently had the chance to travel with NCGA to the European-U.S. collaboration platform
3: on ag. Troy, what did you learn? We attended after the the collaboration platform on ag, we attended the European Union's ninth annual Agricultural Outlook Forum. You know, everybody's hearing about Farm to Fork and their Green Deal over in Europe. My opinion is this is USDA's way of having a conversation, having an open dialogue with our counterparts in the EU and trying to understand where some of their policies are coming from, where they're wanting to go, and answering our questions and our concerns as to how that will affect us. You know, like you said, we have to defend our markets.
1: Thank you, Troy. And folks, tune in to the next Monthly Grind live at the Cattle Convention in New Orleans.
7: Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle.
9: I like that too.
7: Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.